Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Coffee and Books. I'm your host, Scott. We have a really good book for you today, a great American novel called American Dirt by uh, Jenny Cummins. Um, it is written as a grapes of wrath of our time, says Don Winslow. Um, this is a American best-selling novel. This novel came out previously a couple years ago, but is highly relevant today. Um, oh my gosh, I am so excited to tell you all about this novel. So, where do I even begin? What led me to this book is that I was in a bookstore a long time ago in Nashville, Tennessee. It was called uh, Parnassus Books. And at Parnassus Books, they have this wonderful best-selling selection. And as I was going through, I noticed this book and its cover, which is very beautiful as well. It's white with uh, different uh, doves on it that are blue-colored. And it's just very, it just speaks to me. And so when I saw it, then of course I remembered that I should add it to my to-read list. And basically, after a few years of reading other books, I decided I wanted to take a crack at this one. It's well known. Um, I figured it would bring a lot of creativity out there to all of you. So let's get started. So American Dirt follows the story of Lydia and her son as they travel from Mexico to the United States. They are migrants that are fleeing from gang violence and what is perhaps uh, uh, one of the most well-known notorious murder sprees in the country. Uh, she is running away from cartels. She has all different types of dangers and it talks about a lot about specifically the people she meets along the way and where they've traveled from and why they're all headed north to the United States. And so the backstory behind this is, of course, is if you've been paying attention in the news, specifically when President Trump was in office here in the United States, then you would notice that um, there was a lot of talk about the U.S.-Mexican southern border. Specifically, President Trump was well known for wanting to build a uh, wall along across the whole border to prevent illegal migration. But uh, I encourage you all, if you are interested in the history between the United States and Mexico, to research it independently. But Mexico and the United States has a great history of going back across the border multiple times throughout its history. It's very well known. It's very well documented. It is only in more recent uh, history of the United States that it has been stricter and tightened on the guidelines of people crossing the border. So as a result of all of this, we're going to now talk about the story. The story, before I go any further, is entirely fictional. It is based on real people's experiences, but the characters in the novel are completely fictional. The gangs are fictional, the characters that we meet along the way are fictional. It is all described and is not based on one person or group of people, but is rather based on the entire societies as a whole of reasons why people would be fleeing their country. Uh, Mexico is considered the most dangerous country for journalists in the world, which I had absolutely zero idea before I read this book. It is very dangerous to be a journalist in Mexico. It's one of the top reasons why people get murdered. Um, besides the fact that the cartels also have a thriving you know, drug trade business that goes across the border, they also specialize in dealing with human trafficking and there's a lot of consequences that we'll see that comes from this. The uh, only things the walls have really done have increased the money and crime that has led to people being smuggled across the border as they become more and more desperate. All right, so 
Our story starts with Lydia and her son, who are attending their family's quinceañera for uh, a cousin of this boy or her uh, niece's, uh, Lydia's niece, and a gangster, uh, or rather a gang of people come up and indiscriminately murder the entire family while Lydia is taking care of her young son in their bathroom, Luca. So it is by pure chance of luck that they manage to dodge and evade capture from these uh, hardened criminals. Um, they have absolutely zero idea what to do. And uh, from this point forward, they decide to flee the country. Also, from this point in the story, I'll be revealing spoilers. So if you really do want to read it, like I said, I'm going to try not to give away too much of the story, but I recommend it. All right, so Lydia and her son Luca immediately decide they need to flee. But you might be wondering, more importantly, why on earth did this happen to them? Well, we go back further in the story to flashbacks a lot of the time, and we see that uh, Lydia and her husband had uh, you know, been together for some time, but Lydia owned a bookstore while her husband was a journalist and reported for Mexican news. Lydia had met a contact recently in the book world who was, his name was Javier. Javier was a how do I say, a boss of the cartels, but she had absolutely zero idea when she met them at this time. Javier was kind, sweet, he was a person who was, let's just say, very charming, who frequently flattered her, who frequently went with her uh, everywhere, and pretty much started stalking her almost on a daily basis. And uh, they did have a lot of connections together, and they did have a lot of good moments together throughout the story, as we see. But Lydia, you know, saw Javier as a person who was a friend. Uh, her husband, though, was vaguely suspicious, of course, of this man who was constantly in her life and constantly being talked about. And although that they had a, a deep connection because they had both lost parents at a young age, um, Lydia and her husband disagreed about what to do about Javier. Of course, through Javier's own actions, it led to Lydia's husband discovering that he was, a, in fact, one of the kingpins of a cartel. The husband decides throughout this novel that he's going to write a newspaper or a column specifically about this kingpin, Javier. Unbeknownst to him, this newspaper would make him worldwide famous. That news reaches Javier's daughter. Javier's daughter had absolutely zero idea her father was a kingpin of a cartel and unfortunately decides to take her own life. As a result of this action, Javier feels that Lydia, specifically Lydia's family, has taken actions against him. And out of his drug-induced craze or anger or whatever you know, process he decides to make himself not human anymore, uh, Javier decides the only thing he can do is decide to go on a murder spree and kill every single member of Lydia's family. Lydia had 16 family members who were murdered when she was at this quinceañera. Through, like I said, pure luck, she managed to survive. So, so begins our story in the first few chapters. Lydia begins to research, you know, the best possible way of leaving the country. How can she do this? She has limited supplies 
of resources, uh, a little bit of money, but she doesn't have any clothes as they fled for their lives. She doesn't have anything that she could possibly use really to get out of the country. And we learn about her struggles along the way. The first thing she tries to do is tries to fly to the United States, but they won't let her in as she does not have a birth certificate for her son, which is necessary for her to fly. And she cannot request a copy of it without lo- specifically addressing where she is currently located. You know, we see Lydia's paranoia throughout the start of the novel is that she thinks cell phones and other devices are tracking her, that there are people everywhere. And at first you think, well, this is someone who clearly went through a traumatic experience and that she's being paranoid. But we soon learn that she is indeed being, in fact, followed. She is indeed being tracked by members of this gang. Uh, there is great concern of hers that no matter where she goes in Mexico, uh, that she will be followed and that she'll be hunted down and either killed or brought to Javier. So, without anything happening to her or her son, she decides that the only way possible forward is to take the La Bestia, or the trains from uh, where she currently resides through Mexico City up into you know, the uh, southwestern part of the United States. A very dangerous caravan um, that we learn about along the journey along the way. So what is exactly this, this caravan? Why is it so dangerous? Well, people have been fleeing countries in South America for some time uh, because of gang violence, crime, corruption, whatever you want to call it. Many people, children, men, women, families, were fleeing for their lives and going as far north as they possibly could to get into the United States. The United States, of course, has a policy about how if you are fleeing from violence and you are you're seeking asylum, that it is possible to get asylum in the United States. As a result of this, Many families, even though they had no or little resources, used whatever they could to often go to the United States, sometimes by walking. You know, this is a very large portion of land, and we meet people from as far away as Honduras who are walking uh, all the way from there into the United States, which is absolutely stunning and crazy. So, as we move forward throughout the novel, we see that she meets other migrants along the way. At first, she disassociates herself as a migrant. She does not want to think of herself as a migrant, but thinks of herself instead as a victim. Uh, But slowly over time, she begins to see the truth, which is that these people have been fleeing the same thing that she was fleeing. Violence, corruption, drugs, anything that made people move is clearly the same reason why she's fleeing as well. So she depends upon the kindness of strangers who have been taking her in and helping her along the way. There are many different towns, of course, in Mexico uh, that are greatly impacted by the drug cartels, but there are also some smaller towns as well that have been able to help migrants and people move north into the United States. Uh, But mainly these are just what many people do as like a charity to help people in need. These are people such as priests who set out water and food for people, doctors, seeking, you know, to give medical care, uh, people who look out and make sure that the police do not know about them, uh, people who hide them in their homes. And so, to me, this reason why this story is a little personal as a side note here is because it seems to me like if you made the comparison to Nazi Germany, it would be the same story. You know, these are Jews, they're fleeing prosecution 
or fleeing, being thrown in concentration camps. It's the same with these migrants. They're fleeing for their lives for the safety of somewhere north or somewhere where they can get away from whatever is causing them their fears and miseries. And so often the only time, only way to do this, as I've said, is for many of them to use the train systems to go north. Um, that is how they travel, as they cannot afford to fly or they cannot afford a car and they cannot typically walk such a great distance. A lot of the time, many migrants hop on freight trains in order to go as, you know, as far as possible. But there are dangers that are associated with these trains, as we've soon discussed. Uh, these trains are often not safe. Uh, people will often face many different difficulties on these journeys, but the biggest from this specific train would be uh, the fact that the Mexican police often make sure that people are not on these at major cities. So they clear and often deport people back to wherever home country they were from. So imagine walking all the way from Honduras and taking a train and getting into Mexico to be caught only to be sent back to Honduras. And that's the best case scenario. A lot of the times, many people are robbed or stripped of their rights um, sometimes they're murdered. Sometimes, you know, they have everything taken from them. Sometimes accidents happen on the train. People fall off or even get, you know, killed recklessly. Sometimes it's suicide. Sometimes it's even uh, other factors as well. You know, drugs, crime, all of that is still a pretty big impact on these trains. Sometimes people are who are, you know, in gangs themselves are fleeing the same violence. So we see a lot of that as migrants are moving north with uh, Lydia and her son Lucas. So Lydia manages to meet some characters along the way. Um, she meets Rebecca and Soledad, who are from Honduras, who fled uh, as natives from Honduras, as part of the indigenous population. They were never quite accepted into society at large in their country. And they were unfortunately... Uh, young teenage girls who were fleeing after their father and mother were separated from each other. Uh, the father worked in a major city, and the girls decided to go stay with uh, him after drug cartels started attacking the town where they live. Their father had to work very hard for them to survive, and unfortunately the girls were caught up because of their beauty, because of whatever you want to call it, they were caught up in gang violence and ravaged major cities. As a result, they had to flee. Their father was murdered. Um, we meet these characters and they talk about their journey. Soledad, for instance, was forced into a relationship with a gang member named Ivan, who you know, raped her, tortured her repeatedly. And as a result of this, she became pregnant and had to travel while being pregnant, which is very difficult as well. As I've mentioned, many of the times these migrants pass through places and they're often robbed and have little money as well, or food um, that is robbed from them as well. And so we learn about how these brave ladies traveled and used these trains and eventually meet Lucas and Lydia on the train. And Lydia takes an understanding to them as a motherly figure and tries to take care of them as best she can as they go through their own traumas. Um, we meet Lorenzo, a also a fellow gang member, but who says he's fleeing violence uh, at one of the migrant, uh, uh, one of the migrant camps. 
that is being run by a pastor. Lorenzo is a former gang member of the gang that Lydia fears the most, and she believes that Lorenzo is actually a spy sent to try and find her. Uh, as she goes from town to town, the gang uh, that is attacking her, the cartel, has pictures of her posted. She's wanted. She's a wanted person. There's reward money. Um, and it went out to other cartels as well. So she fears that any involvement with anyone of ill reputation could lead to a big danger. So continuing our story, uh, Lydia and Rebecca Soledad and her son Lucas go north along with Lorenzo and other characters along the way. And as they slowly make their way north, they discover they have a major problem. The first problem is, like I said, fleeing from the migration police or police who are actively searching trains for people who are illegally traveling. Um, although Lydia and uh, her son Lucas are Mexican nationals, they can still be robbed or killed. At one point, they are taken into custody and they have to bribe an officer in order to leave. Um, the officer you know, says, you know, basically that he needs as much money as he possibly can for their freedom. Uh, Lydia, seeing no other choice, complies and gives him the money. Uh, but then Lucas remembers the girls that he had befriended, Rebecca and Soledad. And so Lydia is able to work her way with whatever money she has left and manages to secure their freedom. Uh, lost and alone and along the side of basically a highway, uh, they find medical attention through a doctor, and they are able to get uh, as far north as they could possibly get until they get to a small town on the tiny border between the U.S. and Mexico. Eventually, at this point, this is where the story turns really dark. So they need a coyote or a person who is willing to ferry them from the Mexican side of the border to the U.S. side of the border. As I said, they have no options, no money, and basically no way of getting across, realistically. Uh, oftentimes, the only way for migrants to cross is to go into the wilderness, into the desert that's unpatrolled by people. Uh, oftentimes, you have vigilantes as well as police that are uh, in these jurisdictions as well. There's also cameras, sensors, other factors that these migrants have to consider, let alone the fact that it's one of the harshest conditions on the planet, and you have to you know, have enough supplies to get you from, you know, into the United States safely to a nearby town or place where you can keep going forward. Uh, so there's a lot of ways to get caught and to be deported back to wherever you were from, is my point. So Rebecca and Soledad have a contact who is a coyote, the person willing to ferry them across. But of course, Lucas is young and the coyote is unwilling to take a young boy on, along their journey. And part of the reason is, is because he thinks that children would only slow him down or hinder whatever the problem is along the way. Um, there's all sorts of dangers in the desert, in the wilderness, uh, poisonous animals, rattlesnakes, scorpions, you know, stuff like that, uh, coyotes, um, those types of animals exist in the wild and they're going into a, a very harsh territory. They cannot have a child, uh, you know, slow down the, the caravan. 
because a child could be the difference between life and death. But uh, basically, Lydia is able to secure uh, their uh, uh, passage, I should say, with the ability of paying. And the only way she finds her money is that she finds out that she knows the pin to her mother's bank account. She's able to make a withdrawal, but only after speaking to a bank representative. After completely telling her courageous story to a bank representative, the representative allows her to withdraw the funds at the expense of her job and gives Lydia some extra cash. Lydia uses this cash so that they can pay the coyote as much money as they possibly can so they can ferry their way over the border. And so begins the process of them crossing the border. Um, immediately, we see people who are uh, killed because of um, flash floods, the heat. Um, you know, like I said, there people have broken bones. There's a lot of terrible things that happen along the way in the story. And uh, Lucas develops a blister and is not able to walk the distance that they need, which is a very large percentage of miles every day. Uh, Lydia is able to use uh, a band-aid that she has and is able to cover up the, uh, you know, like the, you know, the wound and are able to move forward. Uh, moral of the story is that eventually, in the end, the characters do reach Arizona and they eventually make their way to Maryland where they start a new home together and they are able to live a happy life and they are living the American dream, which is they finally made it, they finally are here, and they can start a new life in the United States together. And uh, the author at the end of the book talks about how there are hopes and dreams everywhere and how important it is for them to keep pushing forward and these people have nothing left. And you know, then the author talks about her experiences. So to make a long story short, this is the story of one migrant among many who manages to rescue her son and gets across from Mexico into the United States safely and is able to take care of her son and give him the life that she always knew he needed. So I really like this book. I'm giving it a 5 out of 5. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the author's note, which I also thought was important. And now we're going to talk about that. So this author, uh, Jenny... uh, uh, Cummins is a a person who is from Puerto Rican descent and writes about her experiences and what led her to writing about this book. She didn't think that she would be the one to write it, but she had a lot of formulative experiences that taught her about this. Um, for starters, she had family that was murdered in St. Louis by gang violence, and we see that that had a very traumatic impact on her childhood. We see that as she got older, her grandmother was a very big force and factor as her grandmother uh, was from Puerto Rico initially. And uh, she always talked about how she didn't feel quite welcome in the United States. And then we, of course, talk about the news and about how over the past um, decade or so, there's been a very, very sudden shift and change towards migrants here in the United States. Um, You can feel it. There's always been... A little bit of a contention there because many people in the United States are unaware, honestly, of what is happening in other countries, but all they see is the negative side that impacts them. But 
there are many people who are traveling right now who are fleeing from their homes and trying to look for a place for a better life. And many countries just do not allow migration simply. Um, it's a sad fact. It's important to note in this book because it shows just how violent people can be. Um, we learn all throughout the story about how violent people can get. I edited a lot of the more violent stuff out because I didn't want to talk about it. Um, and mainly I just thought that it was important for people to know that these people are human beings and that they're fleeing, like I said, for their lives as well, and that they have little or no options to get into the United States. And uh, the only way they can is often to do it illegally. And that's very sad because a lot of these people want to come here illegally, but just like in many other countries, it's very difficult to become a citizen without... Um, without a great number of resources, you know, without having, you know, for instance, a four-year degree and a job lined up and your papers in order and perhaps showing that you have a certain amount of money in your bank account, it'd be very difficult to get into the United States, let alone any country. And the United States is a little bit maybe on the easier side to get into. So I do believe in a world where if I wanted to move to another country that I would show that I meet some of the requirements, or all of the requirements, but I do think some of those restrictions need to be loosened in a way so that many people can come into the United States, or in any country, and become a citizen. If I felt like, for instance, I wanted to move to Israel, I should be able to easily obtain Israeli citizenship. Um, if I wanted to move to Japan, I felt that should be a possibility too. If I can prove that I can learn Japanese or I have enough Japanese skills and I have a job lined up and I have a four-year degree, you know, all these things are factors in how people are taken into account into that, you know, country. But in particular, like I said, the U.S. faces this growing problem of unrest from its neighbors and part of that is the United States' fault. The United States has to take accountability for deporting gang members back to countries and causing more and more gang violence. And as a result, the entire network that was created a, caused the caravan to begin with. And uh, I just think we have to take an approach of helping people in any way we can. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about these topics, I'd recommend researching them. Uh, you know, for yourselves and doing your own research about what you think is right. So, like I said, if you listen to this podcast and you like it and you enjoyed it, thanks again for listening. I know I like to ramble a lot, uh, but if you did enjoy today's episode, please, you know, rate, review this podcast wherever you found it. Be sure to, um, you know, you know, message me. You can email me. My email is scottbernstein16 at yahoo.com. I have a Patreon called Coffee and Books as well, if you'd like to support that. And uh, thank you again for listening, and uh, a book that's for next week is The Man in the High Castle. Thank you.